Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Welcome back to Talking Golf with Ann Liguori. And my guest is Mary B. Porter, former LPGA Tour player spanning two decades, co-founder of the Hawaii State Junior Golf Association, five-year member of the PGA of America Rules Committee, serves on the USGA Junior Amateur Committee, served on the USGA Executive Committee. Wow. Mary B. has been so involved in golf on so many levels, and it's an honor to have you on Talking Golf. Welcome to the show, Mary B. Good morning, Anna. It's always wonderful to see you and hear all you're doing to promote the game of golf. So you're one of my favorites. Aren't you sweet for saying I truly appreciate that. And uh, well, let's start with you must have just been overjoyed with Allison Korapuz's U.S. Women's Open win. I mean, she is from Hawaii and you're based in Hawaii. Well, she is a young lady that uh, I think the world of golf kind of knew or the smaller world of golf around Hawaii. Obviously, everyone knew Allison and and USC. Um, she was, you know, went to USC as a Trojan. So everyone was pretty aware of her. And the USJ was aware uh, as she competed in so many USJ championships as a young player. Um, and which is something that I always promote is to try to get our kids. You can't win a national championship unless you enter it. So. And Allison entered them. I think she played in 19 USGA championships. So I'm very aware of Allison, and, and I've known her since she was seven years old. And she shot a 369 in the final round to win by three shots. And it was her very first professional title, right? It, a major championship. Right. And she had done well uh, earlier this year, too, You know, where she was in contention. And I think she learned from her mistakes as we all make or not necessarily mistakes. I think you all have to go through that and to figure out how do you react under stress. And it's funny because one of the things I always tell my parents in junior golf is that my job is to make your child uncomfortable. And they, they look at me like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, we don't grow in our comfort. We only grow in our discomfort. And I, I really work on that to make them feel a little uncomfortable and so that they can grow. And Allison's done that. And she's always pushed herself in playing above her age level. And I won't necessarily above her ability, but she's always pushed herself to be in an uncomfortable situation. So she's obviously learned a lot from that. Watching her play in the U.S. Open last week was crazy. So give me some examples, because that's very interesting and very effective, obviously. How do you put junior golfers in some uncomfortable scenarios so that they can learn to, to deal with all kind of adversity? So my goal, like I said, it, it, I even from the beginning when they arrive and they show up at registration, I try to have 
new faces there all the time because a lot of kids will just come to registration and oh, there's Anne. She knows it's me and I don't have to tell her my name and I don't have to do anything. And I put them there and, and they'll stand in front of somebody and finally the person will say, do you have a name or do you, can you tell me? And uh, they're like, oh, okay. And they're, and they're a little edgy, a little uncomfortable. And then also when I start them uh, on the first tee, I have someone announcing them to make them feel uh, a little edgy because it's uh, when you get into a major championship like a, a U.S. Open or a Women's Open or any USJ championship or any national championship, they're announcing you on the tee. And if you don't understand how your body works at that moment, um, you're, I remember my, my first U.S. Open, I don't think I'd get the ball to stay on the tee, you know, and, and your heart rate's so high and you, and you have to learn that. And, and it comes with experience. And uh, I think she's continually tested herself through the years and, and performed. Yeah. Controlling those nerves in so many different situations is key. And yes, she looked so unflappable and unfazed almost to the extent of, I was wondering if she even knew that she had won at the end of the final round, because <laughs> initially she didn't really look so happy, you know? And that's a little bit who she is. She's never shown much emotion. Even as a young child, she used to have a little two-wheeled cart. I kept saying three-wheeled, but it was a two-wheeled little pull cart. And she had it all the way through junior golf. And she paid and played in some PGA Junior uh, Series uh, championships, the PGA Junior Championship. And she brought that little two-wheeled pull cart. And you couldn't tell if she was shooting 100 or she was shooting 60. Um and which is great. I think it's a great temperament to have. Um, I'm sure inside, internally, um, she was grinding in which she said she was nervous. Of course, she was nervous. You have to be nervous. Um, any any player's nervous, but it's a matter of figuring out how to calm those nerves and understand that, geez, I'm full of adrenaline right now and I better club back. Um, you know, I better, I, I can't hit this nine nine. I better be hitting a wedge, which sounds stupid in numbers, but um you know, when you get so much adrenaline and you, you have to figure out what does your body do and how do you react to it? So, so I know I you, you co-founded the Hawaii state junior golf association. Uh, can you give us some background on the role that you and this association have played not only with Allison's game, but with junior golfers in Hawaii? Someone like Michelle, Wee, you mean too? Uh, who was one <laughs> sure. of my other U S open winners. Um, so when I, basically was reaching retirement on tour. I had gone on to the USJ Junior Girls Committee in 93, I believe. And, and it's something I never thought I would do. And I had to take rules tests and I had to do all these things. And I discovered that I was an idiot as far as rules were concerned. And uh, I had married and moved over here when my son was six and I was sort of ending my career. I played very few tournaments through the 90s. But um I saw how little Hawaii had for our kids. And I grew up in Southern California where we had a tournament. I could play in three tournaments a week. They might've been one day tournaments, but there was a tournament and you teed it up and you paid your $2 and you got your lunch and a drink and, and um, you, you're at the golf course all day and somebody would drop you off and you'd be picked up at dark. And, uh, but I had that opportunity. And I think that, yeah, that Hawaii didn't have that. And, and obviously for some, for some good reasons. We are an island state, which is very unique. So we had to figure out a way to overcome some of those challenges. And so as, as I got near retirement, I really felt uh, sorry 
for a lot of our kids here because you're not going to be good playing three tournaments a year. And you're not going to be have opportunities that other kids on the mainland would have just with three tournaments a year. So we started, um, we, we formed the Hawaii State Junior Golf Association in 1998. And I was soon the president and I'm still the president of it, but I actually was the you know, the uh, chief bottle washer as well. I did everything and I was, you know, going from tournament to tournament, running tournaments, and especially when Allison was young and Michelle was young, um, Michelle Wee. And um, I, I really tried to just give them as many opportunities. And this was a little bit before 9-11. We had one day tournaments where you could fly to another island. And at that time, it was very inexpensive. And we had a bus to pick them up and we took them to the course. And we even got national rankings for those, which due to some friends, Matt, Matt Clare uh, with Junior Golf Scoreboard helped me there. So our kids got ranked and um, because otherwise they couldn't for them to afford to go play an AJGA tournament. It cost the family five thousand dollars to go up there and, and or just to go qualify. And we did work out some exemptions with AJGA. So I, I was very involved for uh and I'm actually more involved right now uh, just because of after COVID it's been so difficult to get staffing. So, but we, my whole goal was to give these kids just an opportunity and they're going to have to do the work. They're going to have to practice. They're going to have to spend the time if they want to be good. And one of the things that I did, especially with our girls, um, I knew a lot of college coaches. I know a lot of college coaches because many of them played the tour with me. And uh, they would call me and ask me, can those, can your Hawaii kids, can they hit it anywhere? Can they, do they have distance? And at that time they really didn't because no one was pushing them. And my goal was to push them, make them uncomfortable. Okay. And if for some reason, I don't think a 10 year old should be hitting 18 greens and two putting and shooting par. I know I certainly didn't. I know how thrilled I was when I made my first par, you know, and it was difficult and, and you strove to make be a par shooter. So I did that and I lengthened the courses on them and, and for the boys as well. And, uh, and I challenged them and they met that challenge. Um, and, uh, and they've all met challenges. You know, these aren't our first national champions because we had Kimberly Kim won the women's amateur. Um, Kyung Kim won the pub links, you know, we, and Michelle won the pub links and Casey Watabu won the pub links and beat Anthony Kim. So we've had a lot of great successes through the years. And, and those aren't, it isn't, that isn't why I do it. And I do it really to get these kids in education as well, to get them off Island, uh, to see something else in the world. Um, and if they bring that education back to Hawaii, that's a bonus, but also to give them just the gift of golf. And I, I was given that gift at age seven and I, I just feel very compelled to continue to give that gift and, that I was given by Betty Hicks, who was my first teacher, and to teach them the right way, the etiquette, the things that I feel were missing in the game right now, but to teach them uh, a game for a lifetime. And um, I think we've been pretty successful out here. Certainly have. Michelle Wee was on Talking Golf a few weeks ago, and she actually talked about trying to play as many tournaments as she can, including PGA Tour events that were on the islands, because getting to the mainland was so expensive and really not possible at that age. So it was interesting how, you know, all these opportunities came up, which are so needed. 
Uh, you've officiated over 100 U.S. national championships. So share exactly what that means at these national champions. What exactly do you do? <laughs> what do I do? Um, well, it used to be that the USGA or um, the British Open, different national championships, you walked with a group. Um, and so, which I, I enjoyed because then you're right there. You could see what happened. You could see where the ball crossed the penalty area. You could see where it went out of bounds or you could see where it entered to go search. And you were really involved. And um, uh, right before COVID, actually, they switched it to where you're actually stationary on a hole. At Augusta, that was the same thing, too. At Augusta, I, I was fortunate to officiate there for five years. And you're, you're assigned a hole. And depending on what year you are, and you have to have a score, you have to, you know, at that time you had to have a 92 score out of 100 and a, a two-hour a two, a two test or four-hour, I don't know how long the test is, it seems like it's forever, and um, to be able to give rulings. And uh, I, I've been doing that, and I've been very fortunate that I've, I've officiated at Augusta, and I officiated at the Open, the British Open at St. Andrews, and, and the uh, RNA was so kind to give me Jack Nicholas on his Thursday round, his last round last week at um, at at St Andrews. So, um, and so you're there to make the call, um, and you know sometimes you better know your stuff. It's that all of a sudden the camera's in your face and a microphone, and they're listening to you, and you just hope to goodness you get it right. Um, but you know it from coming from a player side, I feel that I I've had a little bit of an up with that because I understand what the player's going through. I understand that a player does not want to hear a rules number. They just want to know how to get out of jail. And I've had to ask that question many times in my life as a player, you know, just, to, I don't want to know, just tell me how I get out of here. What do I do? And, um, and if they ask me, what are my options? I'm going to tell them all their options because sometimes we don't think about that when you're in the heat of the moment. Um, you don't think about, Oh, geez, I never thought I could go over there. That's a, that's a better option. So, to all your listeners, just ask your rules official, what are my options? And you'll get all the options and maybe find a better one. And you have to really know. I mean, there's so much to know in the rules of golf. And you have to really be on, as you say, because there's national TV cameras in your face at any given moment. And ironically, in the final round, you had to make a calling for Allison Corpus <laughs> as well at the U.S. <laughs> Women's Open. I did. And uh, it, it was it was funny because obviously they were my last group. I was on hole five, the par three. And um, and as the media comes, probably 75 different media from camera and, you know, every which way, they sort of blocked my view of the green where I was sitting. And um, and I, I figured uh, Hasa had hit it in the bunker and she had knocked it out. I saw she was safe. And then I knew Allison was on the side of the green. And the next thing I know, kind of like in, in unison, everyone turns and looks at me and I'm like, what? <laughs> they need a ruling on the green. I go, oh, great. So anyway, I go up there and it's Allison. And, and, you know, at that point, I'm just holding my breath for her because it's such a big stage and it's um, and there's so many things that can happen, especially at Pebble Beach. It's it's a difficult, difficult golf course. And I you know, she, I think she felt comfortable because it's Mary B's there. And it's like, oh, hi, Mary B. And hi, Allison. You know, and I've been giving her ruling since a little girl. And um, I remember one particular ruling that she had dropped it in the wrong place. But um, anyway, where she did get penalized, but uh, she's taken that well. But 
I gave her the ruling and um, we walked through it and uh, and off I went. And I still held my breath till the very end to see to make sure she got there. And so. she continued completely unfazed, which was so true to character and one of the reasons why she's the U.S. Women's Open champion. Uh, the Met Golf Writers Association, of which I've been a board member, a proud board member for years, as you know, Mary B., presents the Mary B. Porter Humanitarian Award at their national awards dinner, honoring an individual who, through a heroic or humanitarian act, saves or betters the lives of others. And this award dates back to 1989, a year after you saved a drowning boy's life. Can you share that heroic story? Just incredible. Well, I can give you the cliff notes of it. <laughs> um, at that point, I was it, it was a qualifying tournament. And um, I was on, at that point, it was the 13th hole. And it was the fourth hole, the way Moon Valley plays it, but our 13th hole in qualifying. And um, I hit a good drive, but and it was, it was, well, I didn't hit a good drive. I'm sorry. I popped my drive up. So it eliminated me going for the green. So I had to lay up. And when I did, I pulled it dead left and no yardages, no nothing over there, no sprinkler heads. So I walked up to the green from there. It ended up being 101 yards. And as I walked back, I saw a man fully clothed jump into a pool. And as I looked more, I saw a baby floating on, on the top of the pool face down. And for whatever reason, I, I decided I should be involved. And, and this little boy, as it ended up being a year younger than my son at the time. So he was three, my son was four. And so I finally got my caddy's attention to come and he threw me over the fence and the father had gone in the water hand and got him out, shook him upside down, which is not a good thing for drowning and handed him to me with no, no life in him at all. And uh, if I, t I could tell you every heartbeat and every breath I took during that, during that time, but uh, through, through luck and God's will, um, they were an Amish family that had driven, hired a driver in a motorhome to drive them to uh, visit their cousins that the fathers grew up together, who was no longer practicing the Amish lifestyle. And uh, they'd all left for the day and the uh, little Jonathan walked right down the steps, walked in the pool and came up floating. And um, so I, I was very fortunate through lots of trial and error with him uh, to resuscitate him and get life back in him. And I, I didn't know any compressions and I ended up slugging him and I did mouth to mouth and I, I did everything that I could think of. But Jonathan just turned, his birthday was just a couple of weeks ago. I hate to tell you, he turned 39 and uh, he just had his fourth child. So uh, we're still in touch. Uh, the Met golf riders were kind. If you were there, they brought him out. Not long after that, the award was given and the PGA brought, um, flew him in when I received the first lady of golf award through the PGA and surprised me to bring him out. And so uh, he's a wonderful young man. He he's no longer practicing the Amish lifestyle, but uh, he was the baby, the youngest of seven children, and just the most delightful young man. And now has four children of his own, and he shoes he shoes racehorses. That's his job, and uh, loves it. And he's in right busy in season. So. Thank you for asking. Unbelievable. You are a true hero, not only to golfers, but non-golfers as well. And, uh, you know, the world needs more mentors like yourself. Thank you for all you do, Mary B., and, you know, for being a mentor and for saving people's lives and 
for doing all you do for junior golf. It's just extraordinary. And I can't, I can't thank you enough for being on Talking Golf with Ann Ligori. Thanks so much. Anytime. Thank you, Ann. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.